Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurial League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perel, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week. That's entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey. Not often do we get to experience this in our life to have a dream that really, really is a dream. Like it's not likely that the universe would conspire that this would happen. And then it happens and you look at it and you're like, I got to dream a bigger dream because that one just came true. From admiring her grandmother's Chanel number five to her own aha moment watching Oprah, a love for creating fragrances and inspiration has driven Lisa Price to fulfill a dream. And she's sure that the universe conspired to make it happen. Carol's daughter, Her natural hair care and beauty product company, featuring remarkable scents and made with rare natural ingredients, has grown from her kitchen to a thriving business, a celebrity investment team with Will and Jada Pinkett Smith, and a game-changing acquisition by L'Oreal. It's truly a dream come true. Coming up, you'll hear how working on The Cosby Show, a dream about Maya Angelou, and a timely call from The Oprah Show have all been just a few of the remarkable stops on Lisa's incredible journey to success. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Lisa, thank you so much for being here with us today. I am so excited to learn about your journey and story. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And this is such a cool space. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So you first started creating body butters and oils in your kitchen. And this is back in the early 90s, correct? Correct. How did this passion lead to launching your business? 
Well, it it started out from fragrances. I've been in love with fragrance as long as I can remember. Um, I remember playing in my grandmother's Chanel Number no. Five when I was about four or five years old, and I started out making my own scents. And then I needed moisturizers in the fragrances so that I could layer them. So I experimented in my kitchen, making body butters and massage oils so that I could wear them in my fragrances. And I gave it away to friends and family as gifts. My mother encouraged me in May of 1993 to sell at a church flea market. And that was the beginning of you know, I'm handing something to a stranger and they're handing me money. And when I initially did it, I did it thinking I'll have fun at the flea market. My family is going to be there. It's a nice day in May. I didn't think this is what I would do, but I sold out and someone handed me a flyer for a craft fair that was going to be in the same, you know, neighborhood um in 2 weeks and I wasn't doing anything so I did that craft fair and I just kept doing that um I guess because I was successful each time it was worth it to keep reinvesting and when the weather got cold and you know doing craft fairs and things in the street in Brooklyn wasn't a thing I you know, I got a phone call from someone and she's like, well, I bought cream from you and I'm just about out. Can I come and buy some more? Like, where's your shop? I'm like, hmm, (laughs) (laughs) you want to come to my apartment? You want to come by on Saturday? How old are you at this time? uh, 31, I believe. Yeah, 31. So she came to my apartment and shopped with me on a Saturday. And I started doing that. People would call and make an appointment and come over. And then they kind of stopped calling and making appointments and they just kind of showed up. (laughs) That was interesting. Was there any branding on the packaging at the time or what were you putting your product in? In the very beginning, that first flea market, I used recycled baby food jars. So my mom had just adopted um, my baby sisters and uh, New York had just started the recycling program. So everybody was, you know, putting glass with glass and plastic with plastic. And, you know, my mom was like, you know, we can we can sterilize these like we used to sterilize bottles back in the day when you were little and you can reuse these jars And that's what I did. Um, Probably for the first one, maybe two flea markets. And then I found a place in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, that sold jars for food manufacturers. And I, I bought jars from them. They, they, if you came to their showroom and like met with the salesperson, you could order by the case. But if you needed it delivered, you had to order by the pallet. So we would drive over, my husband and I, and get some cases of jars. When did this become something you were just doing on the side as a passion into realizing this can actually be a real business? The first realization of me thinking that it could be a business came from, um, I was doing it as a hobby. I was selling at these different craft fairs and things, selling out of my apartment a little bit, but it, it was, in my mind, it was the hobby. And I worked in television and film production at the time. 
And I was listening to the Oprah Winfrey show. Um, at that time, it was still a relatively new thing to have this, you know, powerful black woman on television every single day. So, you know, if you were home at four o'clock in New York, your television was on ABC because there's a black woman speaking <laughs> every day on TV. You must watch. And I, you know, had her on and her show was about women who had started businesses and kind of like, how do you know the keys to success to know that you have something successful? So the women that were on the show were talking and they're saying their different things. And I'm realizing as I'm working, I'm answering yes to the questions. And I had, you know, I guess what today we would say an aha moment. Mm -hmm. We didn't have those back then yet, <laughs> um, but I was having an aha moment. And I remember sitting on the edge of the bed and saying, this could be a business. I know my customer. They have to come back to me. They like the stuff. They come back to me. I could, yeah, if I just, if I quit one day or if I decide to have kids, like maybe I could do this, maybe not in an apartment. Maybe at that point we have a house. Maybe we have a garage and it's like in the garage. And I started, you know, thinking like that. And once I kind of like made that switch within myself and said, this isn't a hobby. It could actually be a business. I felt like it It was as if the universe was kind of like waiting, like, okay, girl, good. Here, come here, look at this. And I started to find things that I had been looking for, wholesalers and things like that. I just, they just started showing up. Um, so yeah, it was, it, but it was listening to an Oprah Winfrey show that was that click. And did you, did you have a name for your company oh, it, from it day did, one? Yes, it did have a name. So what, it, what ended up happening with, with that is, is always kind of like interesting because the name sort of came before it was really a business. So when it was strictly a hobby and when I was working in television production, you know, people would smell me in, in the hallways <laughs> at work and, oh, you always smell so And good. by the way, I can smell you right now and it smell, you smell amazing. So for everyone listening, you cannot smell Lisa. She smells amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I would make some things for people at work. I was working on the Cosby show at the time. Um, it was the last season of the Cosby show. And one of the actors on the show was Erica Alexander. And Erica um, did her hair. She was a natural person with her hair all those years ago. And she used to go to a salon called Canaps in Manhattan. And they were looking for someone to make a hair oil for them. So before I ever really sold anything, I had a meeting at Canaps to maybe be this person that would make the hair oil. And I realized I need a name. Like I got to walk in with the name of the stuff that I do at home. And I brainstormed on, um, I made a list of things that I was and a list of things that I wanted to become. So I figured I would affirm something great about myself or call into being something that I wanted to be. And one of the things on my list of who I was, was Carol's daughter. I was also Robert's daughter, Hank's secretary, Gordon's <laughs> girlfriend. But when I said Carol's daughter, I just kind of got chills and something felt right about it. And I went with my gut and said, that's going to be the name. I didn't end up making the oil for the salon. I wasn't ready. I didn't understand things that they were talking about. So that was something that I ended up doing later. Um, but yeah, so I had the name before I actually ever sold anything just so that I could walk into that meeting and, you know, feel like I'm prepared to 
talk to you <laughs> Has about that been a- what I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> Has that been a theme throughout your career, just going with your gut? In some ways, yes. And one of the the wonderful things that I love about how I chose the name of the brand was it was the first time that I knew what that feeling meant. And until you become an entrepreneur, you don't know what that feeling is. And that was the first time that you know, you get that tingle, that thing that you're just like, yeah, this is it. Um, And so then the more that you exercise that, the easier it is to recognize when it comes up. Um, And I didn't know that that's what was happening that day, but that, yeah, that's what was happening. And then what happened next? How did people start hearing about Carol's daughter? Was it all word of mouth? This is before social media. This is before social media for sure. Definitely word of mouth. Women were telling other women, oh, I found this woman. She was at this craft fair. Oh, uh, yeah, I go by her apartment. I I remember one Saturday, someone ringing my bell at Mm -hmm. seven o'clock in the morning and she's downstairs and she's like, my girlfriend said you sell you sell shampoo. Looks like the scene out of a movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm like, yeah, I do, but not at seven o'clock. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she was on her way to the salon, and she was like, "Can I come up, please? I'll be quick. I promise." Yeah, but word of mouth for sure. I had paper catalogs. I had cards. There was no internet. Yeah, no internet very different. Were you still working in your television production job? How long were you there for? Yes. I So I started selling at that flea market in May of 1993. And I didn't officially quit until February 96, because it was one month before my first child was due. So Forrest was about to be born, I thought April 5th, but he was born March 18th. Mm. Um, but I quit in the, the end of February, the last week of February. And talk to us about how you were able to grow and scale the company, especially in the early days, because you didn't have experience running a business. And most people who start businesses, I feel like, don't. No, we don't. Um, It's very much leap of faith. I um, was fortunate to have an accountant. before I even had a business. So, and, and I say fortunate and I'm being funny, um, because I actually had tax issues. I had a tax bill that I had to pay because I had worked at the UN and it's very complicated how your taxes have to be filed and I didn't do them correctly. So I was digging myself out of that hole. So at the time that I was building this business, he was helping me settle my tax bill. And so I was talking to him about things that I was doing because, you know, at this point, when you have a tax bill, you don't ever want to have another one. (laughs) So I got very good advice from him on how to sort of keep track of expenses and different things. So I had this really big Excel spreadsheet. And every time I spent money on something related to the business, I put it in there, you know, the date, how much what who the vendor was was a cash credit card or check what it was for and every time i made money on any sales i put it in the spreadsheet and then he could use my excel spreadsheet to calculate what taxes i owed um because i wasn't a company yet i was a doing business as mm. um i filled out the doing business as paperwork i managed my sales tax every month um but that was because 
I had access to him. So I always tell entrepreneurs, your best friends are going to be your accountant and your lawyer. (laughs) And we shy away from them because we think they're too expensive. But the mistakes cost 12 times as much. Isn't that the truth? (laughs) We've always said that too. That's always a a piece of advice that we give to people. So with regard to like, how do you you know, know how to make what you're making. I didn't know how to make what I was making. I learned how to do it. Um, I used common sense. I never sold anything to anybody that I didn't use on myself. One day, very early on, I experimented with sea moss in a shampoo. Loved it. Well, my hair feels so soft. This is so great. It's fabulous. Made a batch put it in these bottles, put it on a shelf. Someone comes two days later to shop, so excited to tell her about my shampoo. She unscrews the cap to smell it. It shoots out of the bottle across the room, thankfully not in her face. And I was just like, (gasps) you know, didn't know sea moss could ferment. It's in this glass bottle. The pressure's building up. We opened it up. It exploded. So then I learned test things even longer before you <laughs> give them to people. Put them in a bottle. Let them sit in the sun. Let them sit in the dark, you know. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Um, of course, eventually, you know, when you scale up and things get bigger, you do real tests with labs and things like that. But in the beginning, as I was learning, I just used common sense, you know. My, my accountant, who wasn't a lawyer, he gave me some really good advice at the time. He told me to write everything on the label. Like he read one of my labels and he says, this says vegetable oil. What does that mean? What kind of vegetable? And I said, well, the bottle said vegetable oil. And he said like, no, look at look at the back of the bottle. See what they use to make it. And it was soybean oil, but the front of it said vegetable. So he said, be specific. People have allergies and different things. You don't want them to sue you because they didn't know it was soybeans, you know? So I, you know, those early tidbits of information I didn't think would be so critical, you know, really helped me um, and and protected me, if you will, because I I always knew to write everything down, you know, that was in something. So there were I didn't I didn't say, you know, nut butter or things like that. I was specific as to what it was. At what point did you move the business out of your apartment? Well, that took a while. Um, I was in that first apartment for about a year, and then there was a bigger apartment for about three years. And in 1996, we moved into our home where we still live today. And I operated out of my home with regard to production of product until September of 2002. Yeah, 2002, September, I was able to move the um, kitchen production of things into a warehouse. We moved shipping into a warehouse. Um, so it was it was in my home for a while, but my home just got bigger and bigger and, you know, more efficient and different equipment and things like that. And then we produced out of the warehouse, but still by hand. It was just an industrial kitchen until 2000. And that's when we started to do contract manufacturing. Coming up, why a call from Oprah changed everything. 
Hi, entrepreneurs. You know, I am always here to provide you with as much value as possible. So I wanted to be sure that you have access to the Entrepreneurista Agenda, our weekly newsletter where we share the latest business news, success stories, grant opportunities, as well as all of our favorite resources and special offers for founders just like you. You can sign up to join our weekly newsletter and join over 50,000 other entrepreneurs over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash newsletter. That's entrepreneurs.com slash newsletter to subscribe to the Entrepreneurs Agenda. So talk to us about your big moment in 2002, because Oprah, you had your aha moment watching Oprah, and mm-hmm. now Oprah mentions you on her show. <laughs> Oprah had me on her show. That was the thing that was crazy. So before I ended up on the show, I would always talk about, well, you know, when I go on Oprah, well, you know, when Oprah calls, because what's the harm, right? You got to speak it into the universe. hurting anybody, right? And then they called. So it's like, ah. Um, But yeah, I had a, a producer call me. And they told me that they were working on a show about um, women who started businesses in their homes and their businesses were now at a point where they're making a million dollars or more in revenue. And they said, we we heard that you might fit into that category. And at the time, I had just made it to $2 million in sales annually. And I, I said, yes, I, I do fit that criteria. And um, I had conversations with multiple producers and didn't realize until I was at the third one that these were all like interviews because then I heard somebody like typing in the background. And then all of a sudden my TV production head came back. I was like, oh, they're, they're seeing how I would do if I was on air. Like they're asking me the questions and hearing how I answer. I'm like, they're, they're screening me. You know? <laughs> so, you know, I keep going through the process and then I found out that they decided to feature me in the show and that a producer would be at my home early Saturday morning and be with me all day to shoot B-roll. They did not know if I would go to Chicago because they were still putting the segment together and some of the guests would be in studio and some would just be the B-roll package. So, of course, the whole time I'm praying, please put me on the show. (laughs) I got to go to Chicago. Got to see Oprah. And um, they actually sent a producer that I had worked with before. I used to work on a show called Our Home on Lifetime. And one of the producers from Our Home was now a field producer for Oprah Winfrey Show. So she was like, Lisa, I'm so excited. And we spent 12 hours together that day. They got all of this great B-roll in the house with the kids at the park. And at the very end of the day, they had confirmation that I would be going to Chicago and I would be in studio. Flew to Chicago that following Tuesday, taped the segment that morning, flew back home that same afternoon, and a week later, the show aired. And it was absolutely phenomenal and wonderful and fabulous. And all these years later, still one of the big highlights of my life. I have the chills even just hearing you tell that story. It was was remarkable because it, it was not... Not often do we get to experience this in our life to have a dream that really, really is a dream. Like it's not likely that the universe would conspire that this would happen and then it happens. And you look at it and you're like, 
I got to dream a bigger dream because that one just came true. Yeah. That's crazy. It just came true. It just happened. I remember waking up the next day and looking at my clothes hanging in the closet and saying, yep, I wore those on the Oprah Winfrey show yesterday. <laughs> I really did. It really happened. Do you still have them in a bag, never washed? <laughs> no, I actually donated them because I, um, I, I lost a lot of weight since then. So it, it was well, a suit that didn't fit anymore. Hopefully it'll bring someone it. else some good luck yeah, and they'll end yeah. up on, on, some, on some show. Yeah. What was Oprah like? She was phenomenal. Um, truly, truly phenomenal. I, I, the first time that I saw her, I actually heard her voice first. We were all in the green room area and there's tons of pictures. Well, were, it's not there anymore. There were tons of pictures of guests that had been on the show and we're all like looking at the pictures and then we hear, good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. And she comes walking through sweaty, scarf around her head, workout clothes. She had just finished working out. She's like, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to get ready. See you soon. See you soon. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> it's over. It's over. And I'm, you know, breathing because I refuse to cry. I was like, I'm not crying unless she cries. I have to hold back the emotions because I'm really mushy. And we, you know, did our prep and then we went and we did the show. And the best part, honestly, of being there and working with her was she introduces me. She introduces the segment, the segment plays and she did the voiceover for the segment, but apparently her script, it didn't connect with her that I was Carol's daughter. Mm. And in the, in the segment, she's referring to me as Lisa and Lisa Price. And it it just didn't click. So what no one at home saw was when the B-roll was playing, she looked at the screen and she looked at me and she was like, Carol's daughter, you're Carol's daughter? I know Carol's daughter, you're Carol's daughter? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, holy crap, (laughs) she she knows me. And I'm I'm like, hold it together, hold it together. I said, yes, yes, I am. And she's, so then because she has this reaction with the audience, she felt like she needed to explain what happened. So no one at home saw her reaction, but she says, you know, you may not know this, but Halle Berry introduced me to your products. And I'm thinking, I may not know it. (laughs) So I said, yes, I remember that day. And she says, you remember? And I'm thinking... Do you know who you are? <laughs> so, so I tell the story of of the day that I got the order to make a basket for Oprah Winfrey by Halle Berry. And so what had actually happened was there was someone who worked for me at the time and I was out at doctor's appointments. And when I came home, they had a piece of paper and they were like, this person works for this person who called for this person (laughs) to get a basket for this person. And all I could see was Halle Berry Oprah. And I was like, you got to say all of that again. So I told that exact story on her show and she laughed. So then the show, we go through the whole show and there's other people on the show. We finish the show. I didn't cry. Uh, my husband almost did. And I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to make me cry. And we just held each other's hand and we, and we didn't cry. And then you get to take a picture with her after that they send to you as your memento uh, for being there. And she comes to take the picture and she says, you know, I almost didn't tell that story about Halle Berry because I didn't want to sound like I was name dropping, but I'm glad I did because you made it so funny. And I remembered like, 
but you're open. (laughs) (laughs) It's not name dropping. (laughs) But what that, and, and then there was one other moment that was also off camera when she talked about how people in her office at the production company, how they were using FedEx like it was a stamp. And that she had to, because she, somebody had asked like a question in the audience. It was when they would record like after, and then after would, it wasn't digital yet, but it would be, there was a, like a off channel, like a local channel. Like here, I think it's like 55 and the Oprah after the show Mm. would play. So someone had asked like a finance question and she was talking about how she had to have this meeting because she had to explain to people a FedEx envelope is not a stamp. A stamp is, you know, whatever it was at the time, you know, 32 cents or something. She's like, a FedEx envelope is not 32 cents. And she says, you know, I signed my checks. And she's like, why are we giving FedEx all of this money? You know? And I, and I, so when I came away from, from meeting her and seeing her, I was left with this impression of, Somebody who's still very in touch with her business, even though to us she looks like queen, Mm -hmm. right? She's signing the checks and she's paying attention to expenses and not letting people get away with using FedEx like it was a stamp. And then she was so humble that she thought she'd be name dropping. And it, it just stuck with me to be real, to be authentic, that you, because I had people telling me, you're not going to be successful unless you get like this or you're tougher or whatever. And I just looked at her and I thought, you're really successful, and but you're real. You're a real person. And and that, that stayed with me. And she's been, to me, she is a mentor in my head, you know, because it's not like I call her up and have mentors. <laughs> I'm like, sessions. oh, so you became friends with her no. after. <laughs> um, but watching her and watching how she navigates her life um, has been very helpful to me. It, it's it's the to me the right way to lead is making sure that you're always your best self. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have to live what you preach. You can't just preach it. Wow, what an experience! Yeah, it was it was great. What happened after this episode aired? So every oh, so that that's another like funny thing because everyone thinks that you know you go on the show and like you shake her hand and say hello and there's this like wire transfer <laughs> and all of the a gold sudden, you're, you're wealthy like you've been touched and you don't have to that's do anything so ever funny. in life. Um, we got a great response to being on her show. Um, I am grateful that I was part of a group show. And not part of like my favorite things because the way that I was structured at the time, I don't think I could have managed that. So what ended up happening is people came to our website. They crashed our website. Um, We were able to intercept and say like, enter your email here, you know, due to the high volume of traffic, blah, blah, blah. And at the time, those types of things were forgivable. Oh, yeah. That doesn't happen today. But at that time, websites did crash. And and we told the hosting company, you know, we're going to be on Oprah. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Mm-mm. Uh, <laughs> and we, you know, and then we we got the email addresses. We, you know, let people know when things were up and running, and it it ended up being a good um, boost to the business. But it wasn't what 
most people think. Like people thought we were going to get 20,000 orders in one day and you've got to be ready. Like people were telling me to stock up and buy extra stuff. And I was like, "Mm -mm." she mentioned foot cream during the taping of the show. So everything foot related was moved to the front page of the website. We did some extra batches of foot butter and peppermint foot lotion because I didn't know which one she was talking about. And I wasn't going to ask her on live TV. Sorry. Was that the foot butter (laughs) or the peppermint foot? Let's be specific. I just put foot, you know, where people could find it. And um, we sold a lot of foot butter, a lot of foot care sets, a lot of peppermint foot lotion. But it was all manageable. But it pushed the brand and me into a place where I had to stop worrying about the minutia because things were moving a little bit faster. I got a book deal out of it. I got a People magazine spread out of it. People, uh, There was an intern at People who was pushing me for a story and she was getting pushback. And she called me one day. She said, I'm so sorry to bother you. I just have to get some more information so I can go make my case. And I said, but I have to talk to you really fast because I'm packing. I'm going to Chicago. She was like, why are you going to Chicago? I said, I'm going to do the Oprah Winfrey show. Oh, my God. Give me all the details. Let me know the air date. This is fantastic. Oh, this is going to get me my story. And it did. Wow. It got her her story. So there was this like nice build from it. And then they re-aired the show in October. The People Magazine thing came out in November. So I had a very nice fourth quarter that year. It was a lovely fourth quarter. Um, and it was manageable because it gradually grew. At it wasn't point, an overnight thing. Was the operation still in your apartment? And was that the time you had to move it out? The kitchen had just moved to the warehouse right around the time of the second time they aired it. When they taped it the first time. Oh, yes, reruns. Pe- yes. <laughs> when, they ta- when they showed it the first time, I was still in my house, but shipping was in a warehouse. And then by the time it aired the second time, we were in the industrial kitchen outside of the house. And the only thing that was in the house was my office. So it was in between. How many employees did you have at the time? We had between the store, customer service, and production in the kitchen, we had about 25 people. Yeah. And how many people were in your house each day in those early years? In the early in the earlier years and before the kitchen moved outside of the house, there would probably be about 10 people in the house on average. Different people worked at different times. Um so there were there were people who focused on baskets. We and then we we still had the store. So even though we were making things in the house, the store was someplace else. And the store was the store as well as customer service and shipping. So there were like four people in the customer service department, four people in shipping, four salespeople, a manager, and then in the house about 10 people who were making product and making baskets. And you were managing all of these people. Trying to. (laughs) (laughs) Who was your right-hand person at the time? Um, Right hand definitely was my cousin, Michael. Um, He managed the warehouse, first the store. um, But then when we moved to the warehouse, he would manage the warehouse. My brother managed the store after Michael moved and started managing the warehouse. And my husband was there before Michael and Errol were there. And Gordon, you know, just he always made sure that like I had what I needed. He was a truck driver. So 
if I needed things that a trucking company would normally bring to you, but we didn't really have enough volume for them to send a truck, he would go and like talk to the people on the loading dock. Like he just knew how to navigate that world. And he would go in and like buy five and 10 gallon containers of coconut oil and avocado oil and things like that, put them in our truck, bring them home. Um, he, he, anything that I needed to help push things along, he did it, but he wasn't really interested in that being his job. Um, so he, he did truck driving and he worked for UPS for many years. And then both of us transitioned into TV production and he's today in audio tech um, still. And he works on Sesame Street. Up next, the impact of a dream about Maya Angelou and a first edition book. And a celebrity power couple joins forces with Lisa. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. A common theme from all of the guests we've interviewed on our podcast so far is that they've all relied on support from other women through groups. So we decided to start an Entrepreneista Facebook group. Head on over to Facebook and search Entrepreneistas. We really wanted to create a community for Entrepreneistas to connect, share ideas, help each other solve problems, and learn from all of our collective experiences. If you join the group, it's really a safe space to talk about being an entrepreneur, sharing your wins, asking for help when needed, and we can't wait to meet you so we can learn and grow together. You know, the decision to start taking on these investors, you had to fix up the space. But are there things you wish you had known that as you were going through the experience, now you know these things, that you mm-hmm. could share certain advice with people who are making these types of decisions in their business right now? Okay. When when I decided that maybe I need an investor, even though I didn't fully know what that looked like, I just knew it was the thing that people would say, maybe you should raise some money, maybe you should have an investor. I realized that there were things that I needed to do to help the company grow. I needed better looking labels than the labels that I had. So that meant a printer and graphic design and that had like a $100,000 price tag to just change everything. I needed a better phone system because back then the internet did exist, but it was a little baby and people didn't like using it and they definitely didn't want to type credit card numbers into it. So there was still a lot of people placing orders through an 800 number and they were getting busy signals. And then I needed to do something else as, oh, do some upgrades to the website because it was starting because because websites were changing and changing and changing. And every time you did updates, it was this big price tag. So each one of these things were between $85,000 and $100,000. And I didn't have $85,000, let alone $85,192,000. So the decision that I made was to upgrade the phones because I could qualify for financing with the phone company and get the phones upgraded. So I said, okay, if I can at least do that, then we don't have the busy signals and I have the potential to capture more orders and I'll have to figure out the other two later. And I, and I remember realizing 
maybe I do need an investor because I've done a lot by myself and I don't see how I can do more. And I kind of felt like I was one disaster away from it all falling apart. Even though I had insurance for certain types of disasters, but if something bad happened, could I recover? You know, because I really didn't have cushion. It wasn't like I had salary for everybody for the next six months sitting in the bank, you know? Um, So it, it felt like maybe this is something I need to figure out. And again, once I made that decision, the universe starts opening up possibilities. I meet a person, they can take me to meet people, they could be a broker. I start having meetings and conversations with people. And then a friend of mine called maybe about six months into this process about introducing me to someone who just wanted to talk to me about my business. And she tells me about his background and that he works in advertising and that he used to work in music and he brokered a deal with Jay-Z and Reebok on a sneaker and 50 Cent and Reebok on a sneaker. And I had heard about the sneakers from my younger brothers and sisters. Um, and I, I was like, okay, I, wa- I wonder what he would want to talk to me about. I'm thinking maybe Jay-Z wants to have a fragrance or something like that, you know. But I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go to lunch. And we sit down to have lunch and he starts to talk to me about being an investor. And the thing about our meeting um, that was so groundbreaking to me was before I met with him, I had been working on my book and I was working on my book with an an author. And while I was away at her house working on the book, I had a dream. And I'm someone throughout my life who've had, I've had pivotal dreams that give me information that then ends up playing out in my life. And my the person I was writing the book with, when we were writing the book, I told her about this and I had had Oprah dreams in my life. And she thought that it was so funny that I, you know, had these Oprah dreams and then I actually met Oprah. And then she was tickled to death that I had an Oprah dream in her house. <laughs> um, but my Oprah dream was also with Maya Angelou. And not to get into all the details of the dream unless you want me to, Um Basically, what came from the dream was a message uh, about how, yes, you work very hard and you do a lot um, and and you were trying to reach a specific goal and you didn't reach that goal, but it's okay because you're here. And and you've done the work and you've proven yourself. So in this dream, I was trying to do something that was almost impossible and I couldn't do it. I needed to do it by a certain time. I was five minutes late. And Maya is at the the deadline and she kind of looks at me and she says, yeah, baby, but you're here. It's okay. And that meaning kept unfolding for me months and months and months after I had that dream that all of these things that I was doing, I was trying to do things perfectly and correctly and by a certain deadline and in a certain way. And I needed to just realize that I was blessed that I was doing the work, that I was able and capable. So when this gentleman sat down to have lunch with me and handed me a gift to start off the lunch, and I didn't know what, I I was like, oh, I I thought we were having lunch. Like, you didn't have to, I didn't bring you anything. Like, you know, I'm like feeling kind of awkward. And I said, do you want me to open this now? And he says, yeah, yeah, open it, open it. I want you to see it. 
It was Maya Angelou, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. At the time, I didn't realize it was the first edition. At the time, I didn't realize it was signed by Maya Angelou. All I saw was her name on the cover of the book. And I thought, there's no way this man knows this. Who is this guy? <laughs> you know, like I didn't hear what he said for the next 90 seconds because <laughs> I I couldn't take my eyes off of the name on the book. So I knew this was there was something special about this meeting. And what was special about it was he was an entrepreneur. He was a self-made person. His name is Steve Stout, very successful man. And so he understood what I had done and how I did it because what he did, he didn't have a roadmap for it. He just did it. And it was the first time in that six-month period where I was meeting with people and they were talking about investing that I was talking to someone who got it, not necessarily my business, but what I was doing. And he didn't say, well, you know, you, you ready to go to the next level, which is what a lot of people said. Like, I need to know if I'm going to invest, I need to know you're ready. You know, <laughs> um, he didn't do that. And I just I knew he was different and he did end up becoming my business partner. We started working together pretty much right away, but all the, the legalities weren't taken care of for like another eight, nine months. Um, and he put together the investment team um, later on that came into the brand. But as nervous as it was to go from it's me, it's my husband, it's my cousin, it's my brother to this total stranger some of the nervousness was alleviated because of the book. The, mm. To me, that was a sign from the universe that right now you can trust this. But the biggest reason that I said yes was because I couldn't deal with living with what if. Mm. I just, I just, I did not, as, it, as afraid as I was to let a stranger into my family, that was less scary than, well, what if I had let him invest? Well, what if this had happened? And what, I didn't want to have what if, I I wanted to know what if, and what if still scares me. As, and I'm a really scary kind of person. Like I don't get on roller coasters and <laughs> I don't want to be in fast cars. I'm not a big fan of flying, even though I do it a lot. Um, I, I did not want to live with what if. That that was terrifying. Was he the only investor at that oh, time, the first one. He was he was the first one, and he um, came up with the idea of putting together a celebrity investment team. So Will and and Jada Pinkett Smith um, had been customers of the brand and fans of the brand and aware of the brand. So when he reached out to them to be investors, it wasn't a totally foreign concept. Um, I had never given any products to uh, Jay-Z. Uh, Jay and Beyonce were dating at the time, but the rest of the world didn't know that. Um, Beyonce had some familiarity with it. And I heard, I didn't hear this from Jay, but I had heard from other people that Jay started to ask other people, have you heard of this company? And um, someone did his mom's locks with my lock butter and hair oil and some other cousin like knew about it. And I, and what I heard from Jay was that he liked uh, the fact that I was from Brooklyn and, and from his neighborhood. Um, so 
Steve's idea of putting that team together uh, was a very, very smart thing. You know, at the time that I'm going through this, I'm just kind of like, you know, you're pinching yourself. Is this real? Are these people actually investing in my business? Like I watch them on television. Like this is crazy. I didn't understand from a strategic business perspective, the leverage that it gave us to have people like this associated with the brand and basically skin in the game and putting them in the position where they can speak about you and help to promote you, but never look as if they're selling anything. Um, And then you get press to show up, to take interviews because they get to talk to these people. Um, I didn't realize all of the strategy behind that, the marketing strategy. I watched it play out and learned from it. Um, and it was it was a remarkable thing. Uh, a lot of pressure to then deliver and deliver a product so that you don't rely on your investors to always step in and help you out. Um, but thankfully, we, we navigated that well. Did you feel more or less pressure once you now have this investment and had these celebrity investors involved? I felt more pressure, but not because they were celebrity investors, um, because honestly, I never felt pressure from from them. They were always wonderful. Um, the pressure just comes from you're not as small as you used to be and you're starting to be public and people begin to judge and make comments. And, you know, I'm a sensitive person. I, I'm a mushy person. You know, I had to get a thicker skin and learn how to be more confident and get comfortable making mistakes in public because that's what ends up happening. You eventually ended up selling the company. What was that process like? Selling um, was was very interesting. It was something that I knew was going to happen because we had investors. And then after investors, we had equity partners. And these people need to make their money back, right? So my main goal in that whole process was for that chapter of my life to end appropriately, for me to ultimately be with the best a strategic partner to nurture the brand who really understood the brand. Um, And, you know, sometimes that happens in a sale process where, you know, a founder gets to go exactly where they want it to go. And sometimes it doesn't happen because at the end of the day, you, you have all of your investors to consider and you may not have the luxury of saying, well, I don't like that one. I don't want to go there. Um, so I, what I did to manage that process was to do all of the work that I could to make sure that I was knowledgeable about everything that was going on because a lot of this stuff was complicated. It wasn't something I studied in school. I didn't understand all of the financial stuff. I got comfortable asking questions, lots of questions. There was lots of legal advice to help navigate and make sure that I did everything the right way. I advocated for myself in the process to make sure that I would be someplace where I would be comfortable and and welcomed. And it was fabulous. It, it was It was a wonderful thing because it took so much work on the company level and on the personal level to get to the place where 
Now our finances are telling the right story and our trajectory looks appropriate to go out and do this. And then you go out and you go through that process and you have to interview bankers and then you interview the bankers and you pick the bankers and then the bankers begin to put you in front of people. And then if they like you, you come back. And then if they like you some more, you come back again. And and then when you get that that letter of intent, like we want to do this, then you start going through that due diligence process. And it's grueling and difficult and stressful. Um, so at the end of it, I kind of felt like I had done a marathon and had triplets, like <laughs> all at the same time. And I still fit my skinny jeans, you know, <laughs> at the end of it. Um, but uh, some of my followers weren't too excited about that process. You know, they looked at L'Oreal as uh, the big evil company that's going to come take the indie company. Um, But I think we did a lot of good work to alleviate their fears. And, you know, I'm still there and I'm still a part of the brand. Um, But for me, very uh, proud moment, personal and professional victory. Well, that's really incredible. The business that you've built, the length of time you've focused on this business and really made it your everything, made it your baby and went through the process and learned as you went. And the advice and tips you've just shared today have been absolutely remarkable. So thank you so much for for sharing your story. What would you say being an entrepreneurista means to you? For me, it means being so much stronger and confident than I ever thought I could be. It being an being an entrepreneurista, I definitely became a better Lisa than if I had only worked a job. You know, it pushed me into uncomfortable spaces and I, I survived and thrived. I can't imagine life any other way. And what's next for you? I am not sure exactly what next is. Um, I'm currently still running the company. I've been with L'Oreal now for five years. I just had my five-year anniversary in November of 2019. And um, for me, that's a milestone because technically after five years, I could have walked away, but I chose not to. I'm going to stick around. And I want to do whatever I can to help other women navigate this world and recognize that it's okay and you can do it even if you've never done it before and you don't have schooling and you don't have the certification and you don't know how to do this and that and the other, you can learn. Um, and I want to be that person that motivates them and they could use me as an example of someone who's done it um, because it is scary and there aren't that many of us out there, And um, but it's doable. Well, you're doing it. And I just saw on your Instagram yesterday, you're featured in a new Netflix documentary. So congratulations. Yes, currently on Netflix. Um, A friend of mine, Renee Blewett, um, is the executive producer of the film. And it started in her head. And I watched her birth that child. Amazing. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And thank you again for being here and sharing your story. Where can everyone find you, follow you, and of course, buy your incredible products? Well, Carol's Daughter, their website is carolsdaughter.com. That's where you can find um, everything that we have. But you can also shop at Walmart, Target, Walgreens, CVS, Sally Beauty, HSN, and Ulta, and Amazon as well. I can't forget Amazon. And you can follow me on Instagram. That's my main platform. 
I am Lisa Price. I occasionally tweet under I am Lisa Price, but I'm mostly engaged on Instagram. Awesome. We'll definitely be sure we're all following you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Stephanie. I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Thanks for listening. Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurs League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Corral, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs Elite community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week. That's entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey.